If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 22, and we will begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 22 and verse 1, and today we're going to study the hours that lead up to Jesus' betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, you remember last week when we talked about uh, kind of where we were headed, I I mentioned that the next few weeks, starting today, we're going to look at some pretty big chunks of text. And and I got to think, I think these are probably the biggest groups of text that I've ever preached on all at one time. And so um, there are some things that really deserve to have some time spent on them, but because of the way uh, the calendar's uh, fallen with, uh, with Easter coming up in just a couple weeks. If we spend a bunch of time on uh, each of these things, we're, we're going to be having the resurrection and everything and then going back and doing it again. Not that it doesn't deserve looked at twice, but two times real quick. It might be, it might be kind of awkward. So we're going we're gonna to hit this, and, uh, and I, I've broken down Luke's record of these hours under four headings. They all start with the letter P, and we'll get to that in just a moment. But in the meantime, if you are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's Word. We'll pick up in verse uh, 1 and read for a long time. It says, Now the feast of, of unleavened bread, which was called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray, how he might betray him to them. They were glad and, gre- and agreed to give him money. So he consented and began seeking a good opportunity to, bet- to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then, then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat. And he said to them, Where do you want? And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And he will say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. When he had taken a cup and had given thanks, he said, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some, of the, some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. And there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who, call, who have authority over them are called benefactors. But it is not this way with you. But the one who is greatest among you must become like the youngest, and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, or the, or the one who serves? Is it, the, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. You are those who have stood, be, be, you have, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. 
and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But he said to him, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny me three times, have, have denied three times that you know me. And he said to them, When I sent, out, sent you out without money belt and bag and sandals, did you, not lack, you did not lack anything, did you? And they said, No, nothing. And he said to them, But now whoever has a money belt is to take it along, likewise also a bag, and whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. For I tell you that this which is written must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with transgressors. For that which refers to me has its fulfillment. They said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see, and we're going to cover this almost in summary fashion. I'm going to hit kind of the high points. We're not going to take it like a a 30,000 foot view, but probably a couple thousand foot view. And we'll focus in on a couple of the details as we're as we're traveling along. But just kind of just to kind of summarize things. The first thing I want you to see are plans. Plans. The first in verse one and following, we see the plans of Judas. Now, in verse one, it starts out talking about the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Now, those two things are technically two separate events. Now, this is all set up back in the Old Testament. But uh, Passover was a one-day event. It was, a, it was a big celebration where they would sacrifice a lamb and, and they'd have unleavened bread and they had all these things. And then it was followed by a week-long uh, celebration, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And part of that, as its name suggests, involved them eating bread that had no yeast or no leaven in it. Now, these two things happened because they happened one right after another. Sometimes in Scripture they, were, they would be called the... It would just be called unleavened bread or it would be called Passover. And they would use those, either of those terms to apply to both of those, uh, both of those events, both of those celebrations. But, but Passover here is a commemoration. It was a big deal of what happened in, uh, in, in the life of Israel. They remember back in the book of Exodus, um, uh, Israel had gone down to, to Egypt. They'd been enslaved, and God sent Moses to deliver them. You remember what, what happened? Uh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, "No, I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let your people go." And, and there was there was a a, a a challenge, I guess you'd say, between God and the gods of Egypt. And so God sent plague after plague on Egypt, and each of those plagues was uh, was like a, a confrontation, but because each of those things that God sent a plague about. Egypt had a God over. So God, they had a God over the, the, the Nile and, and so on and so forth. And whenever God did these things, he was showing, that's not really God. I'm God. I'm the one that's in charge. And so the last thing that God did, the tenth plague, was the killing of the firstborn. You remember God said, the firstborn in all of Egypt are going to die tonight. But God made a provision. His people were to kill a lamb, take its blood, and put it on the doorpost and the lintel of the home. And then those who are in the home would be safe. In Exodus chapter 12 and verse 13, God says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where he got his name from. Now that is a type and a shadow of the redemption that was going to come through Jesus Christ on the cross. As, as the, the, the blood of the Lamb, so to speak, it, it, through his death, when we, when we trust in him, that death is applied to us. The, the, the blood of the Lamb is applied to us. And when God sees that, he passes over us in judgment. 
but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. So Passover is this big celebration. Thousands and thousands of people, Jewish people, go to Jerusalem to celebrate this. And so, so this is this, this huge deal. And, and Judas says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to betray Jesus. You remember the, the religious leaders, they hated Jesus. They, they wanted to do away with him. They wanted to kill him, but they couldn't because of the crowd. They, they recognized he was at the very least a prophet. And they were afraid of what the, the crowds would do. And so this, this night, or this day, whenever Judas went to him, uh, it was kind of like a, a, a present just dropped into their lap. Because they didn't initiate this. Judas was the one that went and sought them out. And if you'll, if you'll notice verse 4, he went to the religious leaders. And he said, you know what, I will, I will, I'll make a trade for it. I will sell the Savior out. Now, Judas was clearly an unconverted man. He was unsaved. He was not a Christian. Yes, he was in close proximity to Jesus. Yes, he heard the words of Jesus. Yes, he saw the miracles of Jesus. He did all these things. He was near Jesus. He had seen the stuff, heard the stuff, walked with him, talked with him, eaten with him. He had done all this, but yet he was not a Christian. He didn't know Jesus in a saving way. He had everybody else fooled. Whenever he got up to go betray Jesus that last time, the apostles didn't have any idea that Judas what he was going to do. In fact, the Bible says they thought that because he was the one that he, he was he was the treasurer of the group, and and they thought whenever he got up to leave that that he was going to to get some supplies for the Passover or he was going to give money to the poor. They didn't have any idea what he was doing, and so Judas didn't know Jesus in a saving way. And it could be that that is a description of you. You may not know Jesus. Yes, you come to church. Yes, you've heard the Bible. Yes, you've heard preaching. You've read the, the scriptures. You've been to Sunday school. You've done all that stuff. Maybe you've had some sort of experience with the things of God, the, the providence of God. You've seen God answer prayers. You've seen all these things, and yet you do not know Jesus in a saving way. It could be that you are just like Judas in that way. But the good news of the gospel is that may have been you when you came in, but that didn't have to be you when you go out. You, you may have come in lost, but you can go out of here found you can become a christian if you will believe on the lord jesus christ and the offer is open to all t- today if you will believe you will find him a perfect savior now judas didn't do that the bible says that satan entered him and took his greed and his avarice to an extreme level he agreed to betray jesus apart from the crowd for a mere 30 pieces of silver now luke doesn't record that but that's another gospel writer does Meanwhile, Jesus has plans of his own. Judas is off plotting Jesus' death, and Jesus is planning the Passover celebration with his disciples. Now he sends Peter and John to prepare, and it, the, it, it's very much like the triumphal entry. You remember before Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on the colt? He said, go into, go into the city, you'll find a colt tied there, and, and when somebody says, what are you doing? Say, the master needs it, and they say, okay, take it. It's much like that here. He says, go... When you see a man carrying a water pot, and that would have been unique because carrying the water pots, that was what the women did. Men didn't do that. And so when they saw a man doing this, this would have been out of the ordinary. He said, you're going to see this man carrying this water pot. You follow him to the house and you talk to the, to the owner of the house and say, where's, this up? Where's, where's the room where we may have the Passover? Now, we don't know if this is Jesus exercising omniscience of knowing everything or if he had made arrangements with the owner beforehand. Either way, it had a very practical effect. The practical effect is this. 
Jesus wanted to have a private time with the disciples. He wanted to be able to speak with them uninterrupted. And so when they went out and did this, nobody knew where he was going to be. And on top of that, Judas didn't know where they were going, so he couldn't clue the religious leaders in on where they were going. So this was a, it's kind of a hush-hush deal. Everybody's in the dark. So Judas makes plans. Jesus makes plans. Next I want you to see in verses 14 to 22, the Passover transformed. The Passover transformed. Look at verse 14. It says, when the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. When the hour had come. Now, I believe that wording is significant. Matthew and Mark, they frame this as uh, like something to the effect of when it was evening. And it could be that he is just saying when it, when it was time for this to happen in the evening. In John 13, John makes it clear that Jesus knew that his hour had come. It was time for him to do the work of redemption and, and return back to the Father. So it could be that Luke has that in mind. I think there's a little bit of both. I, I believe what he's saying is it was time to begin the celebration, and when Jesus started this process, he crossed the threshold. His hour had come. This set into motion the chain of events that led to the cross. Now, now in verses 14 to, uh, to 23, <coughs> excuse me, uh, Jesus takes this Passover and he transforms it into the Lord's Supper. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, the Passover looked back at God's deliverance, but also looked ahead to Jesus' work on the cross. Now the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And on the cross, Jesus died and he he bore the the wrath of God against sin. And because he he bore, he, he paid the penalty. He he bore the wrath of God for the sins of his people, and all who would trust in him would have that applied to them, and God would pass over them in judgment. Now, I want you to look back at verse 16. This is, I want you to see that the, the, the Passover was not just something that, look, that looks back. Look at verse 16. He says, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is what? Fulfilled in the kingdom of God. In other words, the Egypt event was not the fulfillment. The Passover pointed not only back, but also pointed ahead to what Jesus was doing on the cross. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. Jesus is the greater Passover lamb. Now look at verses 19 and following. He didn't just talk about its fulfillment. He also infused new meaning into the elements uh, that, that were used. <coughs> Excuse me. My allergies are going to be bad this year. <clears throat> so he takes this bread and he, he breaks it and he says, this is a picture of my body that's broken for you. And, and he takes the cup and the, the, the fruit of the vine and he says, this symbolizes my blood, which inaugurates a new covenant. Now, we don't talk a lot about a new covenant, but what, what are the covenants? Well, back you remember back in the Old Testament, Moses went up on Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments. And if you're like me, you remember Charlton Heston coming down with the the, the large print edition on, on, the, on the stone tablets. And, and God made a covenant with Israel, the old covenant. And it was, if, if you'll read the book of Exodus, you'll see that it was ratified, it was inaugurated, it was brought in with a blood sacrifice. An animal was sacrificed, its blood was shed, and that initiated 
this old covenant. And Jesus, he says, I'm going to die on the cross and it's going to bring in a new superior covenant which will supersede and do away with the old. And if you want to look into that more, read the book of Hebrews. The, the, the new covenant eradicates the old covenant. It, it, it does away with it. it. It surpasses it in every way. And it was ratified with the blood of Christ. Next, I want you to see preeminence in the kingdom. Preeminence in the kingdom. Look at verse 23. Jesus is instituting the Lord's Supper. And even as he's doing it, he, he predicts the betrayal of Judas. In other words, this is, not a, uh, th- this is not a surprise to Jesus. He knew what was going on. And indeed, if you look at verse 22, this had been part of the plan of redemption from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 22. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Judas freely chose to betray Christ, and simultaneously that was part of God's plan. And Jesus pronounces woe or judgment on the one who's betraying him. And all the disciples start to say, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Am I going to be taking part in this? Am I going to be the one to betray you? And, and then, and it seems almost incredible, if you look at verse 24, they start to have an argument about, argument about which one of them is the greatest. And on one hand, it's, it's almost impossible to believe that they would be having a, a, an argument, a debate about something so stupid during such a time as this. But when you look at it, I, I, can, I don't think it's that far. I mean, I can understand how it would happen. Because they're pretty slow to believe. They're, they're, pretty, they're kind of slow to catch on. As I've said before, they put the duh in disciples. I mean, they, they just didn't get it. And I can imagine them, as Jesus said that, one of them saying, Lord, is it me? Is, is it me? And, and, and they're discussing, and then they start to debate. And, and, and I can just imagine, Lord, I... It's not going to be me, is it? Well, it might be Wave Walker. Oh, what do you mean, Wave Walker? At least I got out of the boat. Oh, yeah, well, you know, and I can, I can, I can imagine them start to argue and, and debate and say and, and start to puff themselves up and 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 be self-aggrandizing and talk about how good they are. And Jesus says, you know what? Greatness in the kingdom of God doesn't have anything to do with with saber rattling or puffing up your chest or putting other people down. True greatness, preeminence in the kingdom of God, rather is is to become like the youngest. Now used to, youngest age was actually a status in that culture. If you were young, you were low man on the totem pole, so to speak. The, the servant, he said, is like the leader. Today, in church parlance, we call that servant leadership. That's a biblical idea. Jesus says that, that, that the one who is great in the kingdom is the one who serves. He says the, 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 the greatest one is not the is is the one who is at the table, but I, I should be at the table. I should be the one getting served, and yet I'm out here serving you. In other places, Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And as they and as we seek to follow the Lord, this is an area we should emulate. We, we, should, we should copy Jesus. We should put other people first. We should be humble. And finally, I want you to see the prediction of denial. Verse 31, prediction of denial. Jesus says, Simon, Simon. Now, often in the Bible, when the Bible, when, when the Lord speaks to somebody and he says their name twice, they better hold on to their hats. Because something big is getting ready to come on. And so he says, Simon, Simon. And he says, Dema- uh, Satan demands to sift you like wheat. Now, I want to draw your, your attention to a couple of things. First, I want you to see that Satan's power is limited. Satan's power is limited. 
In other words, don't ever think that we're involved in some cosmic battle between good and evil and they're, they're equals. Sometimes we, we, we think, yeah, there's a lot going on and God's over here battling it out and Satan's over here battling it out and, and there's equals, there, there are titans that are just pounding it out and we'll have to wait till the end to see how it all turns out. No, they are not equals. They are, they're, they're, not even, they're not even close to being on the same level. The devil is on God's chain. He doesn't do anything that God doesn't give him permission to do. We see the same thing in the account of Job. He has to have permission to do anything to Job. God gives him permission to do certain things, but he puts limits on it. The devil and God are not equal. God has no equal. There's nobody on his level. There's one creator, and it's God, the devil and the creator. There's one who is uncreated. Everybody else is a creature. God alone has life within himself. He doesn't depend on anyone or anything for his existence. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. God alone rules in heaven. He is holy and glorious and pure, and he is right and good and holy in all that he does and says. But listen, the devil's not any of those things. He is a, creature, he is a creature, not the creator. He is crafty, no doubt about that, but he is a conquered foe. And he can't go anywhere or do anything without the permission of God. He says Satan wants to sift you. It's going to happen but he had to have permission to do it. So that's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see is that while the devil is a defeated foe, he can make life difficult for believers. Now this idea of of sifting like wheat is talking about trials and and temptations and, and difficulties that are going to be coming in life. Third, even though Jesus addresses Simon Peter by name, He's actually referring to all the disciples. We don't get this because we speak English and the Bible was not written in English originally. But if you look at what he says, he says, Simon, Simon, where is that at? Verse, uh, verse 31, thank you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you. You there is plural. Now, if he was in Missouri or somewhere below the Mason-Dixon line, he, he would have said maybe, Simon Simon, Satan has, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift y'all. Okay, that's, that's the idea. It's not you singular, it's you plural, it's y'all. Satan has demanded to sift y'all like wheat. Now, why is he only talking to Peter specifically? Well, he's going to come after all of them, but he's going to especially focus on Peter. But that's not the whole story because verse 32, he says, But I pray for you. I pray that your faith may not fail. And what an encouragement that must have been to to have Jesus sitting there in front of him saying, I prayed for you. Now, I appreciate whenever I've got something going on and somebody will come up and say, Jeff, I've been praying for you. I appreciate that. But if I had to choose between you praying for me and Jesus praying for me, I'm going to take Jesus. But what an encouragement that would have been, right? And we, we look at that, we may even feel a twinge of jealousy but can I tell you, he does the same thing today. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, speaking of Jesus, says, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to, to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is another word for praying for somebody. Constantly, continually, day by day, Jesus is interceding to the Father for us. 
and we need it. Now you may notice that Jesus prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. But if you know the rest of the story, you know it was just a, a, a couple hours later. And what did, what did Peter do? He, he denied Jesus. You say, well, well did, did Jesus' prayer fail? Did God the Father say no to God the Son? No. No, Jesus, uh, Peter's courage failed, but his faith did not. In other words, he, it didn't fail in a final way. He didn't apostatize. He fell, but he didn't fall away. He didn't turn his back on the Lord. He came back to the Lord. His faith was intact. Now Jesus finishes up this section by telling them that difficult times are going to come. Now he says, hey boys, you remember I, I, I sent you out on a short-term mission trip and you didn't take anything for your journey. You remember that? And they said, yeah, we remember that. Nothing. We, we had everything we needed. He said, well, times are different now. Things are getting ready to get a whole lot more difficult for you. Yes, you went on this short-term mission trip and, and, and people per, uh, supplied your needs and, and all those things and those were, those were good days. But now you need to take what you have. You need to take your, you need to take your billfold. You need to take some clothes. And, uh, and, and you need to take some protection. Buy a sword. Now the sword wasn't to threaten people to convert. It was a means of protection as, as they traveled. And as I consider this, it strikes me how much Jesus cared for his followers. Now, if it was me, I think I'd be saying it's all about me. I'm having a pity party, and you all need to come and, and sit with me. You need, to, you need to sing the blues with me. You need to pat me on the back and tell me it'll be all right. But instead, Jesus didn't do that. He warned them. He comforted them. He provided for them. He knew they were in for a rough time. And so it is today. God cares First people, the Bible says that we need to bring all of our cares and our concerns, our burdens, and we need to cast them upon Him because He cares for us. He is a loving, heavenly Father. But I'm going to tell you, He is not everyone's loving, heavenly Father. He is not everybody's heavenly Father. Apart from being united to, to, to Christ in faith, far from being that person's heavenly Father, God is their enemy. The Bible says that there's enmity between us and God. There, we, we are in rebellion against Him. And God will judge sin. If you don't believe that, you need to look at the cross. If you don't believe that, that's what the cross is all about. God pouring out His wrath on, in this case, a substitute. Your sin will either be judged. It will, it will be judged and it will be paid for by Jesus on the cross or it will be judged and you will pay for it eternally in hell. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin. That anybody that would put their faith in Him would have their sins forgiven and become one of His children. And if you've never done that, I call on you to do that today before it's too late. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. Now as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And just in the quiet of this time, with heads bowed and eyes closed... 
The first thing I'd like you to do is take stock of, of your own life. Are you a follower of Christ? Not have you gone to church, not have you taken the Lord's Supper, not have you been baptized, have you ever turned from your sin, have you ever put your faith in Him? That's what that's what Easter is all about. It's not about Easter bunnies and pastel colors and eggs. It's about Jesus dying on the cross. To provide salvation for rebel sinners. If you are a Christian, Pray for those around you who may not be. Pray for the the friends and loved ones that you have in your lives that don't know the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you for the salvation that you provided. And God, it's a a solemn thing to remember what Christ has done on our behalf. But God, we're so thankful that you've reached down and have provided a way of salvation for people who hated you, who are in rebellion against you, who run from you. And God, if there's somebody who's Uh, hear me today who is not a Christian I pray that you would convict them of their sins that you would draw them to yourself and God for those of us who are Christians we lift up those uh, those folks in our lives that don't know you and ask that you bring salvation to them we ask these things in Jesus name Amen